Welcome to Under the Radar, a show about independent iOS app development. I'm Marco Arment. And I'm David Smith. Under the Radar is never longer than 30 minutes, so let's get started. Today we wanted to talk about uh, a topic that is near and dear to me. It is coming late to things, being late bloomers to new technologies or new techniques or new abilities, things like interface builder use, things like, you know, view controller containment, you know, basically things that that I either didn't do early on or that I minimally used early on uh, or just never even gave a shot. And and the, that I later, more recently, have come to come to realize, oh, this is actually useful or or even maybe now it's useful. You know, maybe it wasn't that useful in 1.0, but maybe now it, it has become more useful over time as, as Apple has made these things better. This happens to me all the time. My default reaction to new technologies coming coming by is... I probably don't need that because much of the time that's true. It's just, but but that that attitude makes it hard to find those times when that's not true, and it often makes me come late to things. Now, the the benefit of coming late to things, any of the issues that 1.0 brought, those have probably been worked out, or you will have heard from a bunch of people like this this technology or this thing is not worth using. But the ones that are worth using, by the time you come late to them, yeah, you've missed some time of uh, of potential improvements and efficiencies and everything. But when you get there. It's really awesome and easy to use, and the tools are better, and everything's more stable. So it isn't all bad being being a uh, a conservative curmudgeon like I am about new technologies. Are you that way at all? Yeah. So I I'm a very strange person in terms of I have like these two different mindsets when it comes to like new technologies. So you know, WWDC, Apple announces here's the whole new set of stuff that are now is now available for Apple developers, and I get really excited and look into and very often start using like totally new technologies, you know, things that weren't possible before that are now possible. And I'll be one of the first people in the world to run down that and try and use it and see where all it's in it. Often it's, you know, kind of half broken and the beta period's really tricky, but I, I, I like that part of the development cycle and enjoy it. Uh, but whenever Apple introduces something that is a, a replacement or extension to something existing, you know, and so this is a pattern that I think Apple, I've seen Apple do many times. You know, I started developing on iPhone OS 2.2, I think was the first OS version that I was building against, Wow! You know, which is way back in the day. Um, and you see what it took to build something then. And now so much of the stuff that we would write custom, you know, custom frameworks for or have to do ourselves is now just like built into the system. And there are all these things that... Um, you know, a problem that we had to solve manually or directly before. And then Apple comes along and says, you know, enough people are doing this that we should probably create a system method for doing this that'll be more stable and almost certainly more um, better resilient against iOS changes. You know, because, you know, like when iOS 9 goes to iOS 10, Apple's going to make sure that, you know, collection view still works correctly. Uh, whereas if I've had my own custom collection view class, suddenly I'm the one who has to go in and make all the changes to make sure that it works nicely on the new OS. And so Apple is rightfully so extending and expanding um, the universe of things that we can do. But I always struggle with the feeling of if I have an existing solution for something that kind of works and that I'm familiar with is a really hard sell to kind of tear down everything that I built and then replace it with Apple's thing. Um, and especially like you said early on, because 
in that early phase is when there's the most bugs. And then you can have the really bad feeling of like regret where it's like, oh, I should just go back to doing it the way that I used to do it. Because I knew that I knew at least I knew where all the problems were. If there was a bug, I could fix it. Uh, and that was the you know a mindset that's a very easy trap to get into. But on the flip side, I definitely look at some of these things and I wonder if I'm missing out. Um, and history maybe has shown that in some ways I'm missing out in some ways I'm not, you know, obviously the best thing is when you see a technology fly by, you don't embrace it and then it ends up dying, you know, like iCloud core data sync, for example, like as, as a technology that when it came out, I was like, Ooh, that is interesting. Like I use core data and I sync data to a server. I wonder if this would be cool. And I kind of poked my, you know, poked around a little bit, but never really went down that road because I had an existing infrastructure. Good. Turns out that was a great situation, right? Like, <laughs> I think that was, you know, officially killed this last summer. And if I'd gone all, gone all, you know, all in on that, I would have been in a world of hurt. But on the flip side, if I had seen CloudKit when it came out and went in on that, it, that's, you know, that's an, a technology that seems to be ascendant, that seems to be on its way up. And so uh, at this point, there's part of me that's like, huh, maybe I should be using that. Maybe that would be a wise thing for me to be using. Um, and having the benefit of time makes that choice a lot easier, I think. And so you, there is certainly a benefit to if a technology is being replaced and, or improved upon, that I think you can be more conservative. Then if it's something totally new, you know, then just go for it and try it. And, you know, if it doesn't work, well, you know, what have you lost? But the, that, that having being a bit more conservative when it's something that is just an extension, for me anyway, feels like the right approach. It also it helps to you know as you mentioned like catching things when they're when they're ascendant uh, that really helps with keeping up with Apple basically keeping up with the new new devices that launch new OS capabilities Apple makes it easy on you if you kind of follow their guidelines if you if you kind of like take like the tracks they lay out for you like they pave out a way that they want you to do things whether it's the language choice in this case they you know now it's swift um, whether it's things like using interface builder using storyboards you know using adaptive layouts like all these things like apple makes things easy to do things their way and then generally speaking if you do things their way you will have less friction or things will be easier for you in the near future as they introduce new technologies, new devices, things like that. Um, and, and you don't have to do things their way. But if you don't, you're generally setting yourself up for more work. Like for me, one, one of the biggest uh, things about that was uh, was when they brought an adaptive layout for the iPad. Like that <laughs> that changed a lot of things for a lot of people because like if you if you had, first of all, if you had like a separate iPad app and an iPhone app, that broke everything. Because all of a sudden, like, well, now your iPad app kind of has a reason to have the entire iPhone app with it so that it can run in skinny mode on the sidebar. And if you if you were doing things in a basic way with like a typical, you know, UI uh, split view controller, uh, things like that, like then things were easier for you. But if you if you were, you know, away from the Apple way, you had more work to do. Yeah, and I think too, it's it's an interesting point about how Apple tends to strongly sort of telegraph where they're going. Yeah. With their announcements that this is you know a pattern that we've seen many times where apple introduces a you know a, a, a they, they solve a problem or they make something easier that you know either you know either that falls sometimes when it's you know, i remember when you know they first changed the size of the iphone like that was the year that we got auto layout if i remember right yep 
Um, and like they do those kinds of moves where they can, because obviously they know what their roadmap is for the next six months, for the next year, for the next two years. And they can look forward to what that look, what that's going to be and start preparing, you know, preparing the ground for what that's, what's going to make development on that platform the best, um, now. And so there's definitely a, a wisdom in looking at what, what, what are these new technologies and extensions that they're adding to the, to the frameworks that, what is like start asking yourself well what could this mean like they start adding the size classes and there's i always remember it there was in the in the first size class wwdc session where there's like they have the quadrant of like the compact and wide and so they have like this one is this you know these devices fall in this category this these devices fall in this category these devices fall in this category and this this category we don't actually have any devices that fall into that (laughs) category yet and obviously, like superficially, you could say, like, huh, you know, that's just the way it fell out. It's like, no, Apple is actually telling us that. I think in that case, it was the. I believe it was the the six plus in landscape, which which has, I believe, it has the the normal, which is like iPad size horizontal class, and then the compact vertical class. Yeah, exactly. Like like those types of things, like Apple is telling you something there, and so being aware of it, even if you're not going to adopt the new technology, it's probably a good thing to be kind of suspicious when they start changing things to see like what could this mean down the road because they're not going to waste their time just adding you know adding stuff for no reason yeah i mean one of the things for me that so to get into some specific examples here um one of the things for me in this area was uh, view controller containment or have, having child view controllers basically and, and implementing your own parent view controllers and you know for, for i think for most ios developers you've seen you know, kind of view controller bloat disease. It is so easy to have tons of code in view controllers because that's kind of just where everything falls. And I know there's different models. There's like MVVM and stuff. I haven't really gotten into any of those yet, so I, I can't really speak to them. Um, but every iOS developer has seen the the massive view controller syndrome. And one of the things that, that helps that a lot is by making child view controllers. So like, you know, like in Overcast, you know, I'll have like different panels and everything. And rather than having like on the now playing screen, there's like the effects panel. Rather than having that be part of the now playing view controller, that is its own view controller that can be presented or stuck in various places. You know, just using the stock stuff, using things like popovers and split views and navigation, of course, you know, all these things, page view controllers, using all those things can get you very, very far. But one of the biggest things I've done recently, I started making my own parent view controllers also now. One of the things I did was I I have replaced UI split view controller with my own custom version of something that does fairly similar things, but does them kind of more my way. Because when I, when I was looking at overcast code, I have spent so much time and there was so much like hacky, weird, like configuration and exception code, things like, you know, intercepting trait collection changes and weird things like that, all to get UI split view controller to do what I wanted. The, the amount of code I have to just bend this existing component to my will is so much and so fragile and, and so hacky. I can actually make my own split view equivalent controller that just does things the way I want them want the way I want it to with actually far less code like by by a mile because the built-in components they have all these limitations in place that you know apple thinks they should be designed this way but the reason one of the reasons it's necessary is because like they have all these different options and how you can configure them they have to work in all these different ways they have they, they can't make as many assumptions as you can they can't rule out certain options that you won't use so like in their implementations they're never going to accommodate everything but at the same time they have to be like so complex to accommodate all the things they they do manage to to encompass when you make one for yourself, you can do anything you want and only what you want. 
And that's incredibly powerful. And, you know, writing everything yourself is not always the best solution. That's not always a good use of time. But in cases like this, like, I've been fighting with UI Split View Controller and and various, like, adaptive layout things for over a year now. And it's just like, this, I, I don't need to do this. Like, why am I doing this when I can just write my own? And so I took one day, and like, let me see if I can write my own in one day. And sure enough, of course, it was it was easier than I ever imagined because the the you know view controller containment stuff is very mature now. <laughs> it's it's been around for a while. I think what since iOS like five or six. It's it's kind of old, right? Six, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> it's been around for a while. So all this stuff was very very easy to do. Um, I also made a custom UI page view controller. It basically didn't. I I wanted to do some some custom gesture and view handling that it just was not capable of doing without tons of hacks. So I just made my own. And my the one I made is not as good as theirs for general purpose use, but for my use, it's way better, and it really is not that much code. And it it's more it's more of like basically removing times where you have to really hack with UIKit because UIKit's so complex. There's so much there that it has to do, and so much of my of my time designing interfaces in the past has been fighting UIKit to just try to customize something the way I want it. And over time, that's become easier, but there's still places where you have to do it, especially like around new technologies like adaptive UI and stuff like that when, when those things kind of come out. And so to to get yourself out of the business of hacking UIKit is so freeing and so so good for your overall code health and technical debt. Uh, I highly recommend it. And one of the biggest ways to do that is, is view controller, basically using view controllers properly and not trying to hack the existing ones if, if they don't fit your needs. Yeah, but I think what you're speaking there is such the strange tension that when you are looking at these new technologies, because the base building blocks in iOS are overall, I would say, really, really good. Like the number of things that you can build with just a scroll view is immense. Like, I mean, I was one of my favorite talks at WWDC. I don't know if they did one this last year, but as I previously had always been the like, what's new in UI scroll view? Mm-hmm. Uh, and they would build these really sophisticated interactions that were just a scroll view at the end of the day. And it's that strange tension where if you use a page controller, like you, it's like you can get that first thing working really quickly, but you very quick, you know, you'll start to run out of runway. And it's a question, I suppose, of how much control you want to have and how much you want to be responsible for all the weird edge cases, all the strange issues that, are going to happen, I suppose, either way. If you use UI page controller, like there's just going to be, there's going to be some issues that you just can't work around. And you're just like, oh, well, like it just doesn't work the way I like it to in this particular situation. So then you're like, okay, let me just build my own. And now, of course, you're like, the important thing I think for maybe is to say is when you do that, you are, it's good to be sort of cognizant and keep your eyes open for what you're taking on when you do that. Um, because you know, Apple's engineering teams are no, you know, like they're not, they're no slouches. Like they are really good at what they're doing. And it takes a lot of engineering work to build the UI page controller, for example. Like that's not just a simple thing they threw together in a day. And so if you're going to replace it, you probably need to be aware that you're, it's going to be a lot more work than you think. And there's going to be weird edges and problems that you're going to have to run into. Like I remember this with um, Activity++. Where it has this kind of custom animation where it starts off with the rings, and if you tap it, like the rings unfurl and turn into the bar graph, um, which is this kind of cool animation that I, I thought of, and I was like, oh, I really want to build this. And I started to see if I could build this with UI view animation, because I would far prefer to do it with some kind of 
built-in mechanism. And in the end, I couldn't because just a, it was just too complicated of a, of a thing to get performant and to get to look right. And so I ended up just building it myself using like raw core graphics that I, you know, I do the animation of each frame of that animation and draw it, you know, just like, I'm just essentially just drawing that to uh, a bit, a bitmap and displaying it each frame, which is great. It looks just how I want it, but it means there's all kinds of weird issues and performance problems and compatibility things between different platforms that if I was just using UI view animation just wouldn't happen. And so for me, the trade-off was worth it. Like I couldn't do it the other way, but I kind of wish that I was able to use do so do it the other way. And I think that's something when I think of these new technologies that Apple puts out, like there's this, I, I definitely always have that tugging sense of, oh man, I wish I could just use whatever it is. I wish I could just use auto layout. I wish I could just use size classes. Um, but then as soon as I hit that edge, I have such this tension of just saying like, oh, well, just throw my hands up and walk away, which is perhaps a bit childish. Well, but you know, it's you have to always be defensive of your time. Like when you're when you're trying out something new, or when you're thinking about rewriting a system component for your own use. Like, it is very easy to fall into a time hole here and and just burn tons of time doing something that actually isn't productive. Part of the the judgment of when to do that and when not to just comes with doing it wrong for a number of years and eventually gaining that wisdom. Uh, and part of it is kind of just luck. You know, a lot of times you can't really tell what's going to be a good use of your time up front. But you know, that's the risk you take with new stuff. Our sponsor this week is Braintree. Go to braintreepayments.com slash radar. By next year, maybe even next week, there could be a whole new way to pay for things. Maybe it will be the next Bitcoin or the next Apple Pay or maybe even both. Fortunately, Braintree's full-stack payment platform is easily adaptable to whatever the future holds. So you can adapt easily, too, if you use Braintree in your apps. You can accept everything from Pounds to PayPal to whatever the next big innovation is from any device with just one integration. And when that new payment method comes out, all you have to do is update a few lines of code. No late nights, no complicated recoding, no stress about staying ahead of the curve. Braintree is here to help. You can find out more at braintreepayments.com slash radar. That's braintreepayments.com slash radar. Thank you very much to Braintree for sponsoring our show. One other thing that I was thinking about with this topic, though, is it's something that I wrote that I, you run into if you are behind the times, like I'm very often behind the way, you know, like Apple has this new technology, this new approach that they're recommending, and I'm late in adopting it. Uh, the thing that I always notice too, is that you'll start to run into that can be really annoying is suddenly all the documentation, all the example code, all the things that you see on Stack Overflow um, suddenly don't work for you anymore. <laughs> like you, you have to not only... Um, not only have you built your own approach, like even if it's not like you're just going down the road of like doing something custom, like if you just have old code, then suddenly you have this new thing that Apple has put out, they're pushing and that's where all their focus is going. Suddenly that's where all the documentation is written for. And the, you know, the example code they publish will use that new thing. And so there's not a lot of great examples and it becomes harder and harder. And like the biggest example is probably Swift. Like I remember sort of you had, there was this transition period where all of a sudden all the answers on Stack Overflow for you know, questions I had about the new technologies were all, all the example code was just written in Swift or, you know, in people's little like snippets. And that can become really awkward. And it's probably a good reason to try and adopt some of these things um, with some urgency, just to not be so sort of fall behind to a degree that you just can't work out what to do. Or perhaps moreover, you're wasting time. Like I remember sitting there wasting time, like trying to translate the Swift code into Objective-C 
and then trying to work out how to then take that concept and apply it into my own app. But I have to do this like level of indirection. Whereas if it, my app was in Swift, I could be like, oh, I see what they're doing there. I can build it, you know, for myself now. And that's something that I think it takes a lot of experience to realize that you're not just running into technical issues, you're running into like educational and learning issues as well. Oh, yeah. But, you know, that's just kind of par for the course. You know, as things move on and new things come in, you know, that's kind of like part of the cost of sticking with old stuff is that everyone else moves on, it seems. You know, and that, that isn't actually, you know, it isn't everyone. But that's how it seems like when you're searching for help or documentation or or looking for where Apple's attention is going. Like once the new thing comes out, all those people move on to it. And if you are lagging behind or you're sticking with the old thing, that's just, again, it's just part of the cost of doing business, you know? Oh, sure. But it's it's a weird feeling when you're like, in some ways, it, uh, I love that I have some, you know, I have apps on the App Store that have been have existed for years. And obviously, this is, and it's a, it's a very classic issue in software engineering of what do you, of dealing with legacy code, that you have things that work, um, that you'll go back to. And I, I mean, it's a crazy feeling when you go back and look at code and run blame in Git, and you see, you know, this is code was written back in 2009 or 2010, and you're like, what was I doing? Like, why did I... <laughs> have this strange exception. And so often you run into the situation where like you were coding around an iOS bug in iOS five that you no longer need to code around. And at some point, like you have this weird cycle where you're coding around a, pro- a bug that then gets resolved. And then your code, your fix starts to actually be the bug <laughs> and cause the problem because you're doing stuff that isn't is sort of counter to what the modern approach is. And that's probably why it's so hard to be a UI kid engineer. <laughs> yeah, no, I, do, I definitely don't envy the you know en- envy that team where they do this really cool, amazing work. But like the number of like having it work across all the different devices and all the different things, and having an iOS because another thing that's kind of crazy is the way they approach with binary compatibility. And like mm-hmm. you can still run an iOS four app on iOS ten. Like it'll probably be a little bit broken and janky but like they do a lot of work to keep things forward which is perhaps another you know like i was saying earlier but another reason why being like i I keep telling myself to be less of a curmudgeon about the new stuff because (laughs) i'm probably wasting a lot of time that you know apple is paying engineers to do this work and then i'm just like walking past them and saying nope nope i'll do it myself i'll take care of this myself where that's probably an inefficient use of my time yeah all right, so let me give a few examples of some of the more recent things that I have that I've been working with in the last few weeks doing Overcast 3.0. In in the last few versions I've made extensive use of KVO, key value observing, and this has been helped tremendously by the Facebook the FB KVO controller. Uh, it is a fantastic open source component. I highly recommend that anybody using KVO or curious about KVO do it with the FB KVO controller. Don't do the raw calls because they're full of bug potential, and the Facebook one avoids a lot of that and is very nice to use. Um, generally, this is you know this is in very short terms a way to have some code notified whenever a a certain value of a different of a different object changes. Uh, so. This is kind of, and I think this is what Reactive Cocoa is all about. Mostly, it's like basically, and please forgive me if that's wrong, but basically, like, kind of having having views and controls basically update themselves based on values that change, and also similar to what OS X did with bindings, uh, which have never which never made it to iOS. But honestly, having used them very briefly, I think they're kind of cool. I know people, I know there's potential issues, but they can be pretty cool. Um, where I've been moving basically is is moving. 
rather than having like a view controller that has a stock UI switch and having the view controller manage the state of that UI switch and be notified when the switch is toggled to go change a value, to assign it the value when it's loaded or when the value changes, moving all of that into a custom subclass of UI switch or whatever the control is and having the control manage itself. And that takes tons of code out of the view controllers and makes way more reusable components, way easier. If you're into testing, it's way easier to test these things also. And it really eliminates tons of potential weirdness and bugs and edge cases. Like one of the screens that that I just made uses a table view that, that has a couple of switches and buttons in it. In the old way of me doing these things, I'd either not monitor for underlying changes, like if, if a change gets synced over, that, that would change one of those switches or buttons, or I'd monitor from the view controller, and if any of those values change, I'd just call table view reload, ta- reload data and just reload the entire table. And that sucks. Like, if, if you can avoid doing that, you should. And I don't need to reload a whole table to change the value of one switch that, that where like the underlying data happened to change during, during that view's presence on screen. I can just subclass that switch and just have like, rather than having like, you know, a whole bunch of plain UI switches in the table view, the one that has the rotation setting, that's now an OC rotation switch. And now I can, in my table view, when I'm making the cell, I can just say accessory view equals OC rotation switch. And the switch itself in its code, man, it watches the value. It adds itself as a target and has its own target implementation of like, here's i'm going to change this value now and you know and this basically making these components self-contained and where this really shines not only cleaning up your view controllers and code reuse and testability and everything else where this really is awesome is another bad word that i i didn't use for a long time interface builder i recently started using interface builder to design some of my main screens as well as i started using ib designable components Oh, nice. And this is this is a, a thing where you can implement a couple of methods and put a couple annotations on your files. Just look up IB Designable. You can basically make custom controls appear correctly in Interface Builder. So if you if you need to draw draw things custom on, on a button or style it in a certain way or whatever else, you can do all that and have that show up in Interface Builder rather than just having a big empty white view or like an unstyled button or something like that. Using that Basically, I'm trying to get as much as much code as possible out of view controllers because, again, that's that's kind of like a bad technical debt, bug potential kind of ridden area. So just try to make smaller view controllers. And a big thing, a big thing with that is using Interface Builder as much as possible. Um, and Interface Builder is not like a panacea, but if you if you do my my approach of like having self contained components that manage themselves, and if you take advantage of things like I'd be designable. A lot of things become easier. For instance, portrait and landscape differences with auto layout. Oh, again, I'm also using auto layout now in Interface Builder. That had a Shocking. really, I know, yeah, that's like, I, I thought I'd never do that. But I one day I just kind of plowed through. I'm like, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn how to do it. And then I can decide whether I really need to use it or not. And it turns out, yeah, it's not, it's not easy or intuitive, but neither is anything else about Interface Builder. And and once you figure out, oh, you have to like write drag from itself to itself, like weird <laughs> All these, all the little weird things you have to do to make Interface Builder work correctly uh, that are most of which are totally undiscoverable. Uh, once you figure those out, auto layout in Interface Builder really isn't that bad. It's not easy, but it actually can be more productive in some cases depending on what you're doing. And so, you know, basic things like if you're going to have a difference between a portrait and landscape layout, it makes it so much easier to do that. In fact, my my one wish for it is that I wish that the size classes were more granular, more like CSS, 
Like I would love to be able to say if the you know if the width of this view is less than 300 points then change this condition rather than just being like if this is horizontal or vertical compact you know like the the size classes that we have now are very coarse and i would like things to be more powerful more like what css does with like media queries and stuff but other than that i i have had fantastic luck in in my recent redesign uh and and cleanup of this code basically using stuff that's new to me that is not new to anybody else in ios development <laughs> i'm still not using storyboards but <laughs> you're not going crazy no no I, I mean that's that would be crazy uh but i i have found it really like these things make so many things easier like like the, the like as i mentioned like the self-contained buttons and things that makes it easier to implement custom themes because i have all the controls that have a themable property i have them monitor for for appearance changes in my appearance manager class and then they can just redraw themselves makes it easier to support dynamic text that way also because I, I had a little trick in my app where my my appearance did change notification i just mapped it to the system's text category size did change notification so basically all my handling like if you if if either you switch into into or out of dark mode in overcast or if you go and change system font size it does the same thing so all my labels can redraw themselves everything can resize itself i can do this without this kind of technique and without these kind of technologies i i for many years i have but it just makes it so much easier and more reliable to do it this way and it makes the code a lot more manageable and and it does make it easier to take advantage of new technologies that apple introduces going forward and so that's that's i think where most of the value is here so you know i guess maybe i'll uh probably have to try swift pretty soon but i don't maybe i don't go crazy there either we'll see not yet just just you know one step at a time <laughs> yeah. slowly slowly walk down this road yeah exactly all right well we're out of time this week thank you very much everybody for listening and we will talk to you next week bye